Ristolainen still with it. Yeah, he got it across ice. Back to Ristolainen. Off the Oh, hi, hello. Welcome to It Can't Get Any Worse, America's Worst Podcast for America's Worst Hockey Team. I'm your host, Jay, and on today's show, we're going to be talking quickly and recapping the mini prospects tournament from this past weekend and looking forward to the official start of the Buffalo Sabres camp as we'll discuss the roster and the five biggest questions going into camp. Before we begin, I'd like to tell you that we are primarily a Buffalo Sabres podcast covering the ins, outs, and miserable sufferings of that team that we hate to love. If you enjoy this show, I'd love it if you could please stop by and drop us a a five-star rating on iTunes and tweet us your questions at ickgaw on Twitter. That's I-C-G-A-W. You can also drop us an email at ickgawpod at gmail.com. You can find all that information in the show notes. And I would also like to take a quick second to thank all of you for the support you've shown for the opening episodes. I was checking out our stats today, and we just hit 260 downloads over the first two episodes, which is honestly way more than I ever thought we'd hit this early. I've so really enjoyed talking Savers and Amerks and then getting into it with you guys on Twitter and the Die by the Blade comment sections. So I just wanted to say thanks. Your support and questions about when the next episode is coming have been super wonderful and really humbling. You guys rock, and I'll be sure to keep it coming for you guys. So let's get it on and start talking about some prospects tournament. Uh, This was a three-game tournament featuring a bunch of prospects from various organizations, and this one in particular featured uh, the New Jersey Devils, the Boston Bruins, and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, I will put out a full disclaimer off the front. I did not watch any of these games in its entirety um, for a couple of different reasons. Uh, number one, one of them happened during a, a work time, but also number two, you know, in my 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 primary normal job, I, I'm a Buffalo Sabres fan, but in my second job, I'm also a school teacher, and school recently just started, and things have been a little hectic and crazy here, so unfortunately, I, I haven't been able to watch just as much hockey as I really would like to, so I caught about half of the New Jersey game and about half of the Boston game. Um, which is kind of disappointing because apparently the Pittsburgh game was really one to watch, which we'll get into. We're just going to talk a little bit about a couple of things that happened, a couple of the takeaways from some of the players, and maybe who came out a couple a little bit more of a winner than other players. And that first game against New Jersey was a pretty impressive and fun to watch, but kind of a shaky win against New Jersey. They eventually came out 6-4 winners, but for the first like two or three quarters of the game, Buffalo had a tendency to score and then immediately let a goal back in, including, I believe, at one point, two goals in like basically a minute. Um, but positives from that note, Rasmus Dahlin was super impressive, and we'll talk about him again in a second. We saw our very first Victor Olofsson just blast teed up by uh, Rasmus Asplund, I believe. Um, in general, Asplund and Nylander combined for a pretty pretty one where uh, shorthanded Asplund broke over the blue line and then teed it across a Nylander who sells the Jersey goalie out in front. Really impressive. Tage Thompson had a really cool breakaway goal. And really, I think the goal of the game 
um, was started and finished by Darlene. He makes a killer move at the blue line, bypassing a defender, and he plays a pass across the blue line from side to side that would have made a center proud. Um, onto the rushing player who I'm, I'm not, can't totally remember exactly who that player is. I'm sorry. But at any rate, that player blasted on net, goes off the goalie's pad, tees up for a Darlene one-timer into the open net. It was a fantastic start to a move, excellent finish. Fun game to watch, exciting, lots of goals. Taking us into the next game, it was a tougher one against Boston. And I only watched about the first half of this one, but it seemed like in that first half, the Sabres were just kind of thoroughly outthought and possibly outfought. Boston looked much more assured in their possession, and I heard that later in the game it got a little bit better and Buffalo created a few chances, but in general it was kind of a frustrating watch and a little bit more of a tougher watch than the New Jersey game. They eventually lost 3-1, but they rebounded with a blowout win against the Penguins, 10-2. Yes, that is correct, 10-2. Um... Again, I couldn't watch this one. I was in school, but if there's a bunch of highlights with some really impressive goals from Alex Nylander, who, while also having a couple really good games, has linked really well with Rasmus Asplund and Casey Middlestat. There's a total highlight reel goal where Asplund goes dangling his way through defenders over the blue line and sends it right past the goalie. Um, again, I can't talk too much more about this game because I, I didn't see it. But in all, it was an exciting weekend to see the wealth of new young talent in the organization. There were definitely some winners coming out of this camp. Um, one of them is going to be Nylander, we're going to talk about in a second. But the other one is definitely Rasmus Asplund, who, if he was flying under the radar before, has definitely made his presence known in this camp. Shortly after the conclusion of the tournament, the Sabres released their camp roster that I'm just going to run through a bunch of names really quickly. And then as we get into our five major questions, uh, we'll talk about some of the names that are on here and ones that we should be thinking about and ones that are, are kind of afterthoughts, at least from a Buffalo Sabres standpoint. But forwards. All right, buckle up. Rasmus Asplund, Justin Bailey, Nick Baptiste, Patrick Berglund, Eric Cornell, Kyle Criscolo, Jack Eichel, Vasily Glatov, Zenglis Giergensens, Johan Larson, Sean Malone, Casey Middlestat, Alex Nylander, Andrew Ogilvy, Kyle Lockposo, Victor Olofsson, Danny O'Regan, Matej, I don't actually know if I know how to pronounce his first name, Matej, Picar, uh, Jason Pominville, Kevin Porter, Tyler Randall, Sam Reinhart, Evan Rodriguez, Connor Sherry, Jeff Skinner, C.J. Smith, Vladimir Sabodka, Tage Thompson, and Scott Wilson. Defensemen, Nathan Beaulieu, Zach Bogosian, William Borgen, Rasmus Dahlin, Taylor Fadoon, Brendan Gooley, Brandon Hickey, Matt Hunwick, Jake McCabe, Casey Nelson, Lawrence Pilot, Zach Redman, Rasmus Ristolainen, Marco Scandella, Devontae Stevens, Matt Tennyson. And goalies, Carter Hutton, Jonas Johansson, Uko Pekalukkanen, Linus Allmark, Scott Wedgwood, and Adam Wilcox. There are the names, and now let's get into the questions. I have five major questions that we're going to be talking about for just the, the major items that I'm wondering about going into this camp. And my first question is actually one that came up during the Sabres season preview, and it is, is Casey Middlestat our number two center going into this season? 
Obviously, there's a lot of excitement about what he can do. He has been tearing it up at every level he has played at up until the point that he has played in the NHL where he made just a couple appearances. It's difficult to determine whether or not he's really going to be able to assert himself at that level. He's replacing Ryan O'Reilly in the lineup, and to think that a 19, 20-year-old kid his size coming in can replace a player of that stature might be a little bit premature. And so I'm wondering if in that top six, while the other top six positions seem to be locked down, as we'll discuss in a second, that number two center spot has me raising a little bit of a question mark, and I'm wondering whether or not we're going to see a Patrick Berglund or maybe even like a Rasmus Asplund, and I don't know about that one, filing into that number two center spot rather than Casey Middlestat. Are we going to see him get number two center minutes? Are we going to possibly see someone else slot into that center and Casey Middlestat drop down to third or possibly drop to a wing position, kind of like how Sam Reinhart has been the last couple of seasons? I have a lot of questions about where Middlestat's going to play to start this season. He's obviously definitely not going down to the AHL. He's going to be an NHL player, but where exactly is not something I'm totally sure and can really put my finger on. Um, Question number two is what the bottom six is going to look like. And there are many, many questions going into it with this one. Uh, The first one right off the bat is what is Alex Nylander this season? And I have to be honest that You know, two weeks ago when I did my Sabres and Amrix preview and I ran through NHL lines, I barely considered him a factor with the Sabres. And he seems to be trying his hardest to make a case for a status on this team this year. He looks bigger. He looks faster. He looks stronger. He looks more committed this year. Unfortunately for him, we did say a lot of those same things with camp last year, and unfortunately he suffered that injury going into the season. All signs seem to point towards the idea that he was going to be a saber at the start of last season, but he suffered what I believe was a back injury, but you'll have to double check me on that one. Missed about a month and a half to start the season, ended up in Rochester, and as we are all very well aware, never got his feet under him. But he looked really sharp in this prospects tournament, which seems to be rather inspiring. But I'm just, I ask all of you to take that with a grain of salt because if you followed Nylander, you know he always looks really good playing against other people his age. And actually, you know, sitting in the Amherst games last year, it became something that you would you would hear from a lot of people chirping in the stands when when Nylander would be getting pasted against the boards, someone would mutter out, not so quietly. Man, you know, bet he was wish bet he wishes he was playing against those 19-year-olds still. And that's true. If you remember back to that World Junior Tournament, Rasmus Asplund and Nylander had a really successful time playing next to each other, but that was against the other 18 and 19-year-olds. After that tournament, Rasmus Asplund went back to the SHL to play against adults and really had a profound step forward in his career playing in a league against adults. Alex Nylander went back to the AHL playing against adults, and really didn't take any steps forward in his career. So what is Nylander going into this season? Impressive prospects tournament. Maybe he has an impressive camp, but is he going to be that NHL player? I mean, if he is, it changes everything. Is he going to be that bottom six player, or are we talking about a possible top six edition that we have not factored at this point? Big question going in. 
Other questions, bringing up someone we've mentioned a couple times so far in this episode, but what are Victor Olofsson and Rasmus Asplund this season? We've talked at long about Olofsson's shooting ability. We've talked at long about this episode about Rasmus Asplund and the possible effects that he have. First off with Olofsson, I don't think the best place for him is in a bottom six role with the Sabres. I think he's new to the small ice. He's got to learn the small ice. And as a premier goal scorer in an adult league, I think it's better to give a player like that top minutes in the AHL rather than bottom six minutes in the NHL. Um, I'm sure, and at least I really hope that we get to see him in Buffalo this season, but I think he starts down, but who knows if he lights it up at camp, who knows where he comes in. Rasmus Asplund's another character in that everyone has been tapping up Sean Malone as a possible character that could show up and be a fourth line center for the Sabres this season, but I'm not so sure after this prospects tournament that I would write his name at the top of that list for the first player to show up in blue this season. Asplund was really impressive in the way he got up and down the ice, being a two-way player, contributing offensively. If you remember back to our Amherst season preview, um, Steve Greeley specifically mentioned that like they wanted to see this offensive step forward from him last season. They've seen it. Now he's here. Now he seems to be showing it in that prospects tournament. If he has a good camp, who knows where he ends up coming out at the start of the season. My next question is, Is there any hope for Justin Bailey and Nick Baptiste? Again, players we've mentioned before, they're no longer waiver exempt. And I've had a couple little uh, chats about people who are either dead certain that if they're waived, they'll get grabbed and who are dead certain that if they're waived, we'll see them in Rochester and no one would want any part of them. We won't go into that here, but bottom line, I mean, this is possibly a last chance saloon saloon for Bailey and Baptiste to be Sabres. This camp could be really telling about whether or not they are going to be Buffalo Sabres or even NHL players in their careers. You know, the Once you start getting waived as that older player, it's really difficult to find your way back into a steady NHL job. Um, I do want to mention, just it's, there's been some chatter about possibility of CJ Smith starting up right at a camp. I don't think that's going to be too probable just in that he had a really slow end to the season, and I think they'd rather see him hit the ground running and fire up into the streak we saw him with the Amherst with the first half of last season. But while CJ Smith's maybe not there, what about Tage Thompson? He also looked really impressive in this prospects tournament. He was using his size. He was using a really impressive skating ability for his size. Um, and showing off some really impressive shooting skills. Now, granted, that was against some other young players. If you put him in against some other big players, I'm wondering whether or not kind of that thinner Tage Thompson frame that hasn't quite filled out yet is going to be able to do that at the NHL level. But he was really kind of reminding me of like a Marcus Foligno if Marcus Foligno were good. Um, Just a better skater, a better shooter, better at linking up with players. I... I know people were kind of upset that we didn't get that premier prospect out of the Ryan O'Reilly trade, but I've really liked everything we've seen from Tage Thompson so far this season. Um, Evan Rodriguez deserves mentioning because 
Sabres fans were a big fan of him last year with his bottom six and even into his top six role contributions. Um, that was very interesting to me because if you ever sat next to me in an Amherst game, I was never the biggest Rodriguez fan. In fact, I was probably one of his biggest critics. I used to joke around uh, when Rodriguez first showed up that he only got the job because of Jack Eichel and uh and I stuck to that mentality for a long time. And then all of a sudden, he gets that call up in the Sabres, and he was quite good. And he was quite good on a bad team, but he was still quite good. He's going to have a case for rounding out one of those bottom six roles. And ultimately, there are just too many players in that forward role. And um, we're going to mention some uh, players who were signed by the Amerks later in the episode. Just in general, there are too many forwards. I mean, he- here's something to think about. On that list that I mentioned are 17 centers. And now some of them aren't actually centers. Like Scott Wilson is definitely not a center in this organization. Uh, Danny O'Regan played all over the top six with the Amerks, and Kevin Porter played all over the top six with the Amerks. But There's just a demonstration of just how many players are in this organization, which is great until you have to start declaring your rosters. And I think there's there's a move in here somewhere. There's a trade in here somewhere that hasn't happened yet that is probably just to clear up some roster space and maybe even some cap space, which we'll talk about later as well. Next question is who's rounding out the defense after Ristolainen, Dahlin, Scandella, Bogosian, who knows what happens next? A um, couple names in there to discuss. Will Borgen looked great next to Darlene in that prospects tournament. He was a really good example of that kind of newer stay-at-home defenseman where you're, you're not really just an out-and-out defenseman. Stay-at-home now in the modern game kind of means like you get back the fastest and you're ready to defend the fastest. Um, but he was pretty impressive. Still, I don't think he's an NHL player this year. I think he's going back down. Um, Nathan Beaulieu was not so impressive for most of last year. Um, Brendan Gooley was impressive for a lot of last year, but there are questions about whether or not he's going to start up. I personally think he's going to start down, get a little more experience dominating at that level, and then going up. Um, Casey Nelson's also a question. He's not really the the most profound um, dominant defenseman in the world. It's kind of like a bunch of euphemisms and saying it lightly, but he's right-handed in an organization that doesn't have a lot of right-handed defensemen. Does that earn him credit to go up? Lawrence Pilot was pretty impressive in the prospects tournament and has looked good so far. Did he win a spot or does the fact that he has never really played on small ice detract from him? A lot of questions going on there, but again, same issue. There are maybe too many names and particularly too many names with a left-handed symbol next to their name for this organization. Is there something that's maybe going to switch um, switch that status with a trade? Number four we are coming into is what's going to happen with the captain situation. Now, it is getting late, which I know um, has had people raising some questions about why Jack Eichel has not immediately been declared the captain. Um, We'll get into that in just a sec, but um, for context from last season, I looked it up and last year, the four alternate situation announcement 
didn't happen until October 5th, like basically the day the season started. They posted the picture with Ryan O'Reilly, Kyle Poso, Zach Bogosian, and Jack Eichel holding their sweaters with the A's on them. Um, so that decision might not happen for another couple of weeks. So if you're waiting to buy that you know, new Jack Eichel 9 with the C on the sweater, you, you might be waiting just a little bit longer. Um, for what it's worth, Ryan O'Reilly, that one of those former alternate captains, was asked about Eichel's readiness to be a captain as he was gearing up to get ready for his season in St. Louis. And Ryan O'Reilly responded with something along the lines of, oh, absolutely, yeah. If that means anything to you, there's some commentary on that. But I, I do have some further questions on that. Like, is it Eichel's year to get the C? Some folks are saying undisputably yes. Some people kind of argue, and I'm starting to see some of their arguments. I mean, first of all, like if we don't give it to him, who gets that fourth A? Um, because remember, Ryan O'Reilly is gone. There's now a new spot. Or do we see a brand new list of four A's to signal a new beginning and a new regime? Bogo got an A last season, but he also barely saw the ice after another Bogosian season. Does he keep that A? Um, big questions in that regard. And if they do keep Bogo, there's still a question of who gets that fourth one. And personally, in general, rather than commit to a captain right now and hear me out, I know everybody or not everybody, a lot of people want to hand Eichel that C right now, but I think it's best to wait because what if in two years, the best leader on this team is actually Casey Middlestat or it's actually Rasmus Dahlin? Or like, what, what if it's actually Tage Thompson? And Rasmus Ristolainen has put in a lot of work this summer. Is he leadership material? I think we don't really know. They're all pretty super young. And Jack Eichel isn't really that old. It might be worth waiting just a little bit longer to be sure. Rather than committing the captaincy to a player who's going to be starting an eight-year contract this year if we're not actually certain. Now, look, if they're certain inside that this is the right move, do it. But if they're not, I understand the possibility of waiting another year, going with the four A's for another year. I mean, there are teams that have been successful without a defined captain. Look at Toronto last year. They didn't declare a formal captain had a really successful season. Um, so it's possibility. But that's obviously a big question going in is what's the captain alternate situation going to look like? And then getting into the premier question and kind of the reason why I have been waiting a long time to drop this episode is the question is where is Sam Reinhardt's contract? And I've been waiting because I wanted to make this episode about Sam Reinhardt's contract, but it's been like two weeks since the last episode. It hasn't shown up yet. And so we're just going to talk about the possibility of the contract. And when the actual contract comes out, we'll hit you up with the new information. But here is the good news about the fact that Sam Reinhart has no contract going into camp, which at the time of this recording starts tomorrow. The good news is we have been here before a few seasons ago with Rasmus Ristolainen. And if you'll remember, Risto entered camp without signing out of his entry-level contract. 
He came to camp for a few days while the contract was being ironed out because he felt it was important that he was there skating with his teammates. If you look at the list for the camp roster, Sam Reinhart is on it. And that bodes pretty well for going into this situation. Obviously, it's not ideal. We would love it if Reinhardt were actually signed going into camp. But the fact that he's there and he's positive bodes well. He was interviewed while he was there and repeated a lot of things about how he's really excited to get back uh, with the guys and back on the ice. He was asked repeatedly about the contract stuff and repeatedly said, well, that's between us and I'm just focused on the ice. And he repeated that over and over and over again. Um, something kind of interesting. He was asked like, well, do you notice any of the other contracts being signed around the league? Um, they didn't name anyone by name, but I'm pretty sure they were talking about guys like Dylan Larkin, who we'll talk about in a sec. Um, and he said, and I mean, yeah, like you, you kind of have to pay attention to, to other contracts around the league. Like it's my job. It's my well-being. I have to pay attention to that. There was something that if you're an ultra super conspiracy theorist, that was a a little eyebrow raising, but I'm not reading too much into it. He did use the phrase, well, yeah, I wanted to be ready if I was signed, um, which, you know, if you were reading really far into it, there could be something there about maybe he knows something that we don't. I mean, it's an off-the-cuff interview, so I don't think so. He reiterated that he wants to be here long-term. His focus is on the ice, and I'm sure he is just as ready as the Buffalo Sabres to get this contract situation and distraction, really, out of the way. Um, But this contract is complex, and it comes in the midst of a complex contract situation around the league and talking about a rather complex player. Like We all know Sam Reinhart with his excellent intelligence, playmaking, front-of-the-net presence. Could be a little bit better in the skating ability front, uh, maybe a little bit better in the physical strength front, but he has been a needed asset of the top six basically since he entered the organization a couple seasons ago. He's turning 23 this season. He was our second overall pick in the 2014 NHL draft, and he's going to be an established part of the Buffalo Sabres top six for the next several seasons. Uh, We know he specializes in right wing, and as we've seen and what we'll talk about right now is there were experiments with him playing at center, but most of those have proven to be quite fruitless and he faced a career high year that was really complicated in that he played a vanishing act for most of the first half of the season and New Year's Day came around and he had only recorded 11 points. And maybe coincidentally, that 11 points and horrible start to the season coincided with that one of those experiments with him playing at center. Second half of the season, he really experiences an exceptional turnaround also coinciding with a switch back to the wing, and he eventually finishes the season with a career-high 25 goals and 25 assists for a career-high 50 points, finishing third behind Jack Eichel and Ryan O'Reilly in scoring. If you take that second half of the season, that pace at the end of the season, 39 points in 44 games, is close to being on point Um, with a 75-point season, on pace with a 75-point season, sorry. And he was asked about that, you know, mentioning you were on a 73-point pace in the last 44 games. Do do you feel that you can be that type of player in the NHL? 
And he responded by saying, like, yeah, my focus is to help the team every night. And I feel like we were capitalizing more on those changes uh, that we created in the second half. Like, you can see from the second half of that season what Reinhardt is capable of. The concern is whether he's capable of being at that level consistently. And are we going to see the, and are the Buffalo Sabres going to see the fall of 2017 Reinhardt or the spring of 2018 Reinhardt after this payday? And going into this contract situation, that's important about like which Sam Reinhardt are you paying? And the truth is, you're really not paying either of them. Because if you go in trying to pay fall of 2017 Reinhardt, he's going to laugh in your face and walk away. If you go in trying, oh, let let me stop. You're not going in trying to pay 2018 Sam Reinhardt because, first of all, you don't want to pay him that much money with what that's going to be worth. But also, the Buffalo Sabres are right now logistically incapable of paying Sam Reinhardt that kind of money. They've only got just under $6.5 million in cap space. That's what they can hand out right now unless they make a couple moves to clear up a couple more dollars. Um, the big comparable for this one is with the Dylan Larkin contract signed at the Detroit Red Wings. He got 6.1 over five years after a season where he scored 16 goals and registered 47 assists for 63 points. Now, different types types of players, and I mean, you, you subtract a couple goals, you add a boatload more assists. And so we're talking about players of similar age group, but a different position and a, a different team. Like Larkin is the guy for Detroit. And while his goal numbers are inconsistent, like he scored 23 his rookie season and only 16 in the most recent season, he's got a boatload of assists. He's a center. And in this league, that tends to get you more money. And he seems to be the established franchise player for the foreseeable future for the Red Wings. Sam Reinhart is none of those things. We know he seems to be a pretty abysmal center, and he's not the franchise player. That's Jack Eichel. And But still, when Larkin signed this contract, I was still kind of worried about the Reinhardt contract. Like, if 16 goals gets you $6.1 million, would the Sabres even want to afford what Reinhardt's potential could demand? Um, and again, further complicating that issue is that they genuinely can't afford much more than that contract this year anyway, unless there are a couple of moves. I mean, around the league, there are a bunch of really complicating contract situations to think about for this one. I mean, we always will always compare Eichel to McDavid. We always have and we always will. McDavid gets his monster albatross contract. He's probably deserving of that. He's the best player in the league. Jack Eichel gets that mimicked contract, you know, a step down at $10 million per year. Look back across the, across the lakes and... Leon Dreitseidel is getting that $8.5 million contract, and almost immediately the NHL community says, dude, Oilers, what are you doing? He's not worth that kind of money, but they couldn't really walk away with anything else. They had given McDavid that money. Dreitseidel's the number two after a great season. They've got to do it. Are the Sabres looking at something similar with Jack Eichel making $10 million, and now you've got to pay Sam Reinhart? A, like a similar sum proportionally to what Dreitseidel makes to McDavid. I mean, think about it this way. If I'm Sam Reinhart walking into that meeting, 
I'm looking across the table and saying, I scored the same number of goals as Jack Eichel last season. Like if, if my number, if my contract number doesn't start with a seven, I'm walking out. And the Sabres can't do that right now. Um, and the Sabres will push back and say, well, you didn't have a consistent season. Well, you know, Jack Eichel played more games last season. You, you see where how complicated this situation can get. Hugest question mark going in is, when is that contract coming, and what is it going to look like? Of course, after talking about all of that, I'm going to post this podcast, and they're going to announce the contract immediately afterward. You just know how these things work. Um, so hopefully, let me just hang on. Give me three seconds. I'm scrolling through Twitter right now. I just need to be absolutely positive that this contract hasn't come out. I will be right back with you. And scroll, 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 scroll. And future looks bright from the Sabres. Nothing yet. And okay, no contract. Moving on. So that's about it for major questions going into the camp. Um, we're going to move to our down the road section and talk about the Amherst. There was a little bit of news going into the Amherst camp, which starts also this week. Uh, they did announce that they've signed defenseman Anthony Florentino and Eric Nodal. And also a forward, Alex Weidman, and goaltender Michael Hauser, all to um, American Hockey League contracts for the 2018-19 season. Nodal and Florentino were predominantly with the Cincy Cyclones last season, so the organization knows them. Uh, Weidman and Hauser come from the Indy Fuel and the Fort Wayne Comets, both of, both of the ECHL. They're probably all going to mostly continue to be ECHL players. Um, Florentino and Nodal had brief stints with the Amherst last season, which we could probably expect to see at some point. But all in all, these four names are probably not guys you will hear that often coming out of Rochester. I would imagine they're going to be Cincy Cyclones with brief call-ups as the season goes on. Around town, we've got some Atlantic uh, Division news and uh all of the big news really comes from two teams around the division firmly pressing that rebuilding button, or at least announcing that they're going to be firmly building it. Um, up first, the Montreal Canadiens have pressed that button by trading Max Pacioretty to Vegas for Thomas Tatar, Nick Suzuki, and a second-round pick. Uh, Pacioretty immediately signed a four-year contract with Vegas worth $7 million a year, but that doesn't kick in until the end of his current contract that has a year left worth 4.5. So technically, across the span of both contracts, Vegas has him locked down for five years. The Canadians got a good haul for this. Uh, Tatar isn't a replacement, but he's a stopgap player as they're going to try to rebuild uh, with guys like their third overall pick, Jesperi Kotka-Niemi. And the new guy in this trade, Nick Suzuki, who's supposed to be a real stud of a prospect. Um, for Vegas, they get to say they win because they got a premier goal scorer. Um, it is a little goofy that they move to Tar immediately after getting him. It's just, I feel like it's kind of weird in that they gave up a first round pick, a second round pick, and a third round pick for this guy just a couple of months ago at the deadline. They barely played him in the playoffs. I think he played eight games across their Stanley Cup run. Um, failed Stanley Cup run, sorry. And then they trade him now. And it's just kind of an interesting move to package him along with a stud prospect. I mean, there's there's a lot in this trade, but still, 
They get Max Pacioretty, so good for them. Elsewhere, Ottawa has committed to a rebuild in voice, but not quite in action yet. And you may have heard of a really strange video posted to Twitter of their owner, Eugene Melnick, chatting with Mike Borowicki, where Borowicki sitting in two like couch sofa chairs next to each other. Borowicki literally says a few seconds into the video, well, what's all the season starting soon? So what's the plan here? And they go on to discuss the plans as they try to build their way back up from that really abysmal season and really abysmal situation they're stuck in. Um, I guess what I find weirdest about this is that after everything that's gone wrong with the Ottawa Senators, which is a long story that we will get into in some episode but don't have time to right now, after everything that the Senators have gone through that Eugene Melnick thought that what the fans really needed was to hear his voice again. And specifically in this video for him to say that he's going to be around for a long, long time. What else is just weird about this video is just how horribly uncomfortable Mark Borowicki looks. And he's just constantly wearing this face that screams like, I make $1 million a year and it's so not worth this awkward staged conversation. Um, They do go on to discuss that, you know, uh, Melnick thinks they're going to have a great season. They're going to start building um, from the bottom with these excellent players they have coming through the pipeline. Um, Classic rebuild talk. Very weird way to go about announcing that it's going to happen. What's good for this is that the Sab- for the Sabres is that there are two teams in the division who really are where the Sabres were three years ago. And those two teams are waiting for their Jack Eichel or Rasmus Dahlin to really signal the first step forward in their rebuilding process. They've sold what they've got for the future. They're now waiting for that future to kick in. Maybe Montreal has that player with Jesperi Kotkaniemi. Uh, I can never say, say his name, Kotkaniemi. Um, but maybe not. Maybe they're still waiting for that premier player. Um, The best news for Sabres fans about this is that Ottawa doesn't even have their first round pick this season, so they're not even going to get this player this year. Um, It's really, uh, it's reaching a point where like, I laugh at the situation that the Ottawa Senators are in, but I genuinely start to feel bad for their fans. Um, because as Sabres fans, we, we know what they're going through. Um, moving on to this week. Coming up this week, the Sabres start camp on September 13th, which is tomorrow at the time of recording. By the time you are listening, it's probably already started. And open up their preseason campaign in Columbus against the Blue Jackets on Monday the 17th. They are then at home at the KeyBank Center the following night on the 18th, and they'll play a home-and-home against the Toronto Maple Leafs that weekend on the 21st and the 22nd. So that's it for our show today. Thanks so much for stopping by and having a listen. If you enjoyed the show, please feel free to leave us a review and subscribe. We'll be coming at you next week with a quick review of preseason happenings, any news on the Sam Reinhart contract front, which should be resolved at that point, I would imagine, and a look to the final week of preseason and the Sabres opening fixtures against the Boston Bruins and the New York Rangers. Outside of the show, we'd love to see you on Twitter, and you can find us, follow us, and yell at us at ickgaw, that's I-C-G-A-W, and you can also email us at ickgawpod at gmail.com. 
Um, next week, we'd love to talk more about this Sam Reinhart contract that's coming in. So if it comes in, tweet us your thoughts about it, and we'll talk about your comments on the show. Do we want to see that short-term bridge deal? Do we want to see that long-term contract where we buy the UFA years? If we buy the UFA years, it probably means somebody needs to be moved. So who are we ready to pitch out somewhere if we want to make some room for the Sam Reinhart contract? Get in touch with us. We'd love to talk about the stuff. Ultimately, thanks for listening, and keep those heads up, Sabres fans. It might not get much better, but remember, it can't get any worse. We'll see you guys soon. Kick in to Oposo. Oposo hanging on to it back at the point. Oposo drops it off in the corner to Eichel. Eichel buzzing around. Eichel in the seat.